0: Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel, Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word.
1: Paul says, don't be deceived in this. Don't be deceived in the thinking that you're going to sow in the flesh and, and not reap from the flesh. Don't be deceived in the thinking that you can sow any kind of way you want. Some people, somehow in their mind, have believed that they can sow however they want. God, I'll sow my resources, my time, my energy wherever I want. But I'm still gonna to expect to reap a harvest. I'm still gonna I'm still gonna have an expectation of reaping good from you. And God says, Don't be deceived. Don't be deceived in thinking you can sow that way. You're gonna reap what you sow.
0: The phrase you just heard Pastor Bill say, you reap what you sow. Have you ever thought about what that means? It means that you can't pour your time and energy into bad things and expect good to come from it. Today you'll learn how this applies to your spiritual life and why it's important to evaluate what you're doing. If you're spending a lot of time on things that don't honor God, how can you expect to grow in your relationship with him? As you listen today, take a look at your life and make changes if needed. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Galatians chapter six for today's edition of A Transforming Word.
1: For the believer, what do we have to be proud of? Jesus, what are we boasting? what he did for us. We never boast in what we do or what we've done or what we've accomplished. We boast in what he has done for us because the most valuable thing that's been done was done on the cross. Amen. Amen. My sins are forgiven because of the cross. I'm going to go to heaven because of the cross. I'm right with God because of the cross. Anything that came after that's good is a result of the cross. And so if we keep it that way as believers, God will always be glorified through our lives. And we'll always be in a position before the Lord where we're honoring him rightly. You know, maybe God has excelled you and blessed you with gifts and is using you tremendously. And, and, and people will begin to look at you. You must be very careful to say the cross. Jesus did it all. Apart from him, I'm nothing. Remove him. I have nothing to offer anybody. You can't just say that emptily. You got to believe that with all your heart. You remove Jesus. I'm nothing. Right. I, I love what I get to do. If Jesus took away his word, I have nothing to say to you about you. I have nothing meaningful to say to you apart from his word. His word is living and powerful. His word doesn't return void. His word will accomplish everything he sent it to do. If he took away his word, nothing to offer you. Him. It always will go back to him. And if we do that, again, it'll keep us from pride. It'll keep us from some of the trappings of the enemy. But it'll always keep us in a place, too, where people are receiving from Jesus. And people are glorifying Jesus. Our eyes are where they need to be on the one who died for us on the cross. And so Paul says, look, how do boast? And I mean, I want you to listen to who's saying this. Who could boast? If someone could boast in their accomplishments as a believer, Paul could say, I planted this many churches. I've led this many people to the Lord. I've made this many disciples. I've, you know, I've shut down the, the, the Judaizers over there. I, I got the Corinthian church cleaned up, you know, for, I mean, he put that on your resume. You know, I went to, I went to Corinth and that mess of a church. I got that thing straightened out. Paul says, look, I glory in one thing, the cross. And if Paul can't glory in all his ministry, then we have better, <laughs> we have better not be glorying in anything that God does through us. And so he says, I glory in the cross. And then he says this. By whom the world is crucified to me, I'm crucified to the world. Now, what you think about what that means, Paul says, it was through the cross that the world, the world is crucified to me. Uh, the world, he's speaking of the world system. And so when you think of the world, all the things in the world, all the things that would draw people's minds and attention, he says, I'm crucified to the world. This world don't own me. Um, and when you think of crucifixion, I'm dead to it. Crucifixion was a was murder. It was a form of death. I am dead to the world. and The world is dead to me because of the cross. Right. As I'm dead to the world, the, the world is dead to me. Who are we alive to? We're alive in Christ and we're alive to Christ. We're living for something totally different. We're in this world. But what? But we're not of it. And that's the way God wants it to be. God So I want to put you in it, but I don't want you to partake of it. I want you to be influencers in the world. And so often what happens to believers is that God puts us in the world to be an influence to the world. And because we're not focused on the Lord, we start to be influenced by the world around us. We start to want what they have. We start to desire the things that they have and want to be like them and and desire the things and the stuff of the world. And God's like, it's not what I put you there for. I put you there to be an influence. I put you there to to do something. And so be careful that you don't start taking on uh, characteristics of the world that God said. I put you there to to bring change. I put you in the midst of that group to, to have an impact on it, not to be impacted by it. Um, My daughter was, um, you know, you guys know my daughter Harmony. She grew up Christian school and homeschool her whole life. And so she was at Christian school and then she would come home and homeschool for a couple years and be with mom. And then she would go back to school for a year and and then she would go back and homeschool. And so she was very sheltered, very covered. But the Lord had stirred her heart up for missions. And so she had been to Japan with me. She had been to. Peru a couple times, and she'd start going different places. And then in high school, she felt like, you know, now she'd never been to public school. If you'd have asked her when she was younger, she's like, oh, I don't want to go to public school. You know, it was like, ooh, big, scary, you know, public school, you know, because she was very sheltered and covered. My daughter, my baby, you know, and so she was very sheltered and covered, and she prays, like, I feel like God wants me to go to public school to be a witness. And I was like, okay, we'll pray. We'll pray about that. And we prayed, and so... Um, it just so happened though this is the funny thing we when, we, when we started praying this we were living in Downey the Lord was speaking to me at the time that it was time for us to move back to Inglewood so I was already in the works praying and getting things adjusted to move back to Inglewood so by the time it all culminated we were moving to Inglewood and so I'm like, so if God's calling you to go to public school, it's not going to be a public school in Downey. It's going to be a public school in Inglewood, you know. And so she was like, well, you well, well, sure that's what the Lord said, you know? And uh, and she was. She said, no, I'm sure this is what the Lord told me to do. And so she ended up at Inglewood High. And I want you to understand for me, this is my 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 baby. I mean, just I she'd never been exposed, just covered. And she's like, I'm supposed to go there and be a witness. And I'm like, and I believe that the Lord was in it. And so I'm like, all right. I remember putting her in there. Me and my wife were just looking at each other like, can you believe? God is, God got jokes sometimes. man. like, why, Lord? could Did he let her go to the mission for a week and come back? She's going to be here every day. But you know what? That school year, she went and and she experienced a lot of things that she had never seen and all sorts of stuff, you know, but... She was witnessing. She was something that she hadn't had a lot of opportunity to do at a Christian school. And she was stepping out. She was challenged. She was stretched. She was strengthened. We had a Bible club on campus that year. And once a week, the ROTC class let us do a Bible club. And so we brought pizza for the kids for lunch. And that room would fill up with kids, mostly because they wanted free pizza. But, but they would hear the gospel. And every week, every single week, kids got saved. Every single week, kids made decisions for the Lord. One week, this was the coolest thing ever, there was a gay club on the campus, and they also had lunchtime meetings. And so it was a week where we had a Q&A going on, and so the kids had made, you know, uh, posters to say, you know, uh, free pizza, there's questions and answers, and they had put all kind of stuff about what the Bible says about drugs, about sex, about this, that, and the other. And at the same place, there was, uh, the gay club had canceled their lunch meeting. So all the kids from the LBT club, whatever, you know, all all the kids from that club came to the Bible meeting. And I was like, this is going to be interesting because this
0: is
1: (laughs) this isn't a day where I'm just teaching. I'm taking live questions and answering them back. It was the most awesome day there because four questions in a row about that. Bam, 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 bam. And we're giving out what the Bible says. And one girl is pressing me. I remember she she was she came in with four kids that were one one guy dressed like a girl. She came in with this group and she's saying she's pressing me with these questions. I'm saying, look, I went to First Corinthians six. I'm like, they they can't go to heaven like that, but they can be saved. And look, and I gave her the verse in Corinthians where, you know, such were some of you. And but you were sanctified and justified. So I said, so God, so God can save them, God can forgive him. But they have to come to him. They have to want his forgiveness. You know, there isn't anything God can't forgive. And this girl said she stayed after with her friends. And she came up and she said, my dad's a pastor. And at my dad's church, they say that he says that there's no hope and they can't be saved. And that's why I befriended them. I always I feel like the church is so mean to them. But you're saying that they can be saved and God does love them. They just have to come. And yeah, I'm like, they have to come. Just like if you were having sex with a boy, you have to come and say, God, forgive me. That's wrong. Just they have to come. God will forgive them. They'll take them and she's like "Well then," and she started bringing these kids she would bring them every week and we started to see kids one couple that came that day now they didn't all get saved but one of the it was a girl couple the girls were both there we give the, the opportunity for salvation and one girl left and her friend is trying to pull her back and she's like no i'm gonna go and she came and she sat down and what we get to do after the, it's lunch time so when lunch was over everybody had to go but the kids that got saved we would keep them and the teacher would give them a note, say, you guys, you know, so they go back to class late. I say all that to say, you know, our biggest concern in that season was we sent her there. I didn't send her there to, for her to pick up on all that she was hearing. I, my daughter would have came home cussing or came home, you know, she said, Dad, they smoke weed in the hallway. Like she said, as you're going to class, kids are real quick, real, you know, just passing weed. And I'm like, and that's just the environment. I didn't send her there for her to pick that up. You know, she went there to be a light be a witness and so God has put you and me in this world not that we would pick up the stuff not that we would start to look and desire and want but that God's a please I want you to be a witness for me in this lost place they need me and it's the most ineffective witness when it's a believer looking at the world and you really want what they have because they, they how will they ever desire what you have when you're lusting over what they have forget about their stuff forget about their cars forget about their possessions where are they going care about that. Amen? Amen. We'll be a, we'll be a lot more effective. And so when he says that, 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 uh, that the world has been crucified to me, everybody needs to consider that. Is this world crucified to you? Or do you still want some of it? Cause it needs to be crucified to you. And he says, and I to the world verse 15 for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but a new creation. Paul says in Christ, Whether you're circumcised or not, whether you've kept some letter or some part of the law or not is irrelevant. What matters in Christ is what? The new creation. Have you been made new? Are you a new creation in Christ? That's what matters to God. God said, I'm not worried about these particular rules and regulations. Are you a new person? Have you become a new creation? That's what God died to bring about in our life, that we'd be a new creation in Christ Jesus Brand new that God is doing something from the inside out—a metamorphosis. That we're we're, we may look the same on the outside, but we're not the same anymore. That God has so wonderfully worked from the inside out that you're a new person, a new man, a new woman with new desires and a new way of living, a new way of thinking that that comes from the Lord. And so He says, "That's what Jesus is concerned with—a new creation. That we be a new creation in Christ Jesus." Verse 16. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace. And mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. He says, "As many as walk this way, as many as are walking in their their new creation, many as he says, many as walk this way, peace and mercy be upon them." And then he says, "And upon the Israel of God." And what that means, the Israel of God is these are Jews who by natural birth are Jews, but they have accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord, as their Messiah. And so there were Jews that, you know, obviously the the Jewish people were the first people that were evangelized, the first people that that, that were reached out to. These are those that have come into relationship with Christ. And then our last verse, um, last two verses, 17 to 18, for now, from now on, let no one trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus and so Paul, this is not a boast, but Paul said, look, don't bother me about this anymore. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. What did that mean? Paul had been beat on his back. Paul had physical marks on his body. Uh, when he says, I bear the marks of the Lord Jesus, this is not some of that weird stuff we be seeing where, you know, someone says, look, I have the same scars that Jesus had. Look, it happened to me. It's none of that. It's this is, Paul said look, I got on my back. The marks. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Right? Paul could take off his shirt and say, Look, I, I was I, this many times I received a beating on the back for the Lord and whatever other marks he had on his body. And I look back at this era and, and these guys were proud of that. You guys remember in Acts, the disciples had been jailed and they were beat. And they when they got free, they, they didn't go complaining. They said they rejoiced that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. These guys said, like, look, 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 look I, look, I got one too. You know, like they were, they were rejoicing that they were, that they were able to be beat, you know, for the Lord. Paul said, I bear my body, the marks of the Lord Jesus. I'm, I, I'm, I'm devoted. I believe, you know. Um, my body tells the story. You know, I, I didn't cower out. I didn't bow out of these things. I took it. And I believe, this is a fact, that as we walk with the Lord, as we endure hardship, there will, this is a fact of the life of the believer. There are going to be things that, that we do get marked Maybe not physically. We may not get beat for the Lord. You know, we live in America. Um, you know, we, we may not get a beaten for the Lord, but but our commitment to the Lord should mark our lives in some way. There should be external evidence of what's happening inside your heart. Those marks on Paul's backs represented this, that when I had opportunity to deny him, I would not. When I could have just been quiet and went along with the flow, I did not. When I could have not taught the truth so that they would leave me be. I taught the truth anyway. Paul, These marks say I've been living this life. I've been living for the Lord. And I didn't I didn't take the easy route out. And so may we not be looking for the easy way out. May we be those that are going for it, loving the Lord, loving people, being a witness for him, especially in the face of adversity and difficulty. And the last verse says, brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. And Paul closes his letter with uh, the grace, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the goodness of God, the undeserved goodness of God. uh, Be with your spirit. Amen. And so this is what I want to do now. The time we have left, I want you to go back to verse seven. This whole letter, the premise of the whole book of Galatians was this, that there was a group of believers in Galatia that were being deceived. And so Paul had to write this whole letter To try to correct them, he said, "Who bewitched you? You guys, you guys began so well. Who, who, who got you guys to turn from the following after the truth?" And so, I noticed when I read that there are several three times Paul specifically says, "Do not be deceived." And then I thought of other times where Jesus says it's some other scriptures that deal with self-deception. And I want you to just have these verses for your own benefit. And so if you're writing notes, I'm going to give you some verses to write down. But let's I want to go through these. Do not be deceived verses with you guys. The first one, we're going to go back to one that we already looked at. Verse seven. Do not be deceived. He said God is not mocked for whatever a man sows that he will also reap for he who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the spirit will of the spirit reap everlasting life. And If you guys remember the context of this, he was talking about, you know, sharing our goods with the church or those that are ministering to us. So here's the deal. Paul says, don't be deceived in this. Don't be deceived in the thinking that you're going to sow to the flesh and and not reap from the flesh. Don't be deceived in the thinking that you can sow any kind of way you want. Some people somehow in their mind have believed that they can sow however they want. God, I'll sow my resources, my time, my energy wherever I want, but I'm still going to expect to reap a harvest. I'm still going to I'm still going to have an expectation of reaping good from you. And God says, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived in thinking you can sow that way. You're going to reap what you sow on the same note. He says, don't be deceived in the thinking for those that have sown to the spirit. And that may be in serving. That may be in your giving. That may be in your your manner of life. Don't be deceived into thinking that that won't be rewarded as well. And that was where the verse when he says, look, you know, don't grow weary while doing good for in due season you'll reap if you don't lose heart. And so maybe you're someone that you're sowing to the spirit and you maybe you give and you share with others and you're a generous individual. And you 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 sow your time, effort, resources into the things that matter for all eternity. But you don't see a whole lot of, of, of results right now. Be encouraged that you might not see them now. Right, we're not even really going to be looking for them now. Maybe some of us, God will let you read some things here and now. But we're really, we're really living for another reality, you guys. We're really living for heaven, and we're sowing things up ahead of us. And so, rather, God chooses to bless me here and now, or rather, we just pour out and pour out and pour out for the rest of this life, and all of our reward is waiting for us there. We we gotta be good with that, that God. But I but I but I must I have to do that in faith. I have to do that in faith. This is God. I believe. I believe that as I sow to the Spirit, I'm going to reap. And as I do the things you tell me to do, there, there will be a harvesting of these things whenever, whenever you say. That's the thing. From the time you sow a seed to the time you harvest a seed, there's a gap. We don't know what that is. And if you've been doing good for a long time and not seeing it, don't lose heart. Hang in there. Hang in there. It's, it's, it'll be there. So I think that one is kind of twofold. There are people that, that, that can be deceived to thinking that I'm going to do with my life what I want. I'm going to sow my time where I want to sow it. I'm going to take my resources that God gives me, and I'm going to sow it all into what I want. I don't give to ministry. I don't participate in that part. of. It. I do what I want with my time, my, t- my talent, my everything, but I'm over here expecting to reap. God says, don't be deceived. You're going to reap what you're sowing. You're sowing to the flesh, you'll reap flesh, fleshly stuff, corruption. Think about this. This is what that means. Sow to the flesh, you reap corruption. When you sow to the flesh, everything that you sow in the flesh, it goes nowhere. Let's say I take all my resources and I, I gratify my flesh by buying things. Those things are corrupting. Amen. If I go buy a brand new car today, 10 years from now, it won't be a wonderful thing. It'll be a wonderful thing for a little while, but it won't be wonderful in 10 years. Anybody that's ever done that knows this. Um, it's the it's, it's oh, brand new car, shiny, it glistens, see it in 10 years. Look at it then. That's why I buy old cars. So it's already old, you know. Ding my door if you want to. I won't even be mad. I I get to act Christian with you. You know, you ding my door? (laughs) That's the tenth one. It's all good, you know. Um, Don't sew it down. There's nothing wrong with having things, right? Don't let things have you. Again, some people that everything is sewn into that which is irrelevant. All my money, effort, time goes into things that are corrupting. Don't let that be you when you know better. Amen? Here's the next one. You can turn to it with me or write it down in your notes. Write down 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. And again, these are uh, just the do not be deceived. These first three are all from the Apostle Paul. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 9 and 10. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Now he gives a list. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And so Paul says here, look, there are people that are deceived into thinking that they can live a ongoing, uh, habitually sinful lifestyle and Somehow inherit the kingdom of God. I believe that that is, that, that, that I believe that, that is alive in many churches. I believe there are many people that believe because I believe the right things about God, I can live however I want. Because I know the truth about the gospel, now I'm free to do whatever I want. And I'm telling you, that's not how it works. And Paul says here, he says, hey, don't be deceived into thinking you can live this way. Don't be deceived into thinking that you can go on living however you want. He says, do you not know the unrighteous? Will not inherit the kingdom of God and someone said who are the unrighteous Paul said let me explain let me make it clear to you the unrighteous are those who habitually live in sin he lists all these different things and I want you to note the first four were all sexual the first four all have to do with aspects of sexual sin fornication um, there's idolaters uh, adulterers homosexuals sodomites so it's really four of the first five dealt with that then he goes on to thieves covetous drunkards revilers extortioners None of the people that do these things are going to inherit the kingdom of God. So, what do we take from that? Uh, we've all seen the scripture, I'm sure, in Matthew 2021, 20, where people show up on Judgment Day when it's too late to get right, and they stand before the Lord. And what do they say? They, Jesus says, "I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew." And what do they what do they offer up to Him? They say, whoa, 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 wait. "Lord, you're making a mistake." Jesus, no, I, I prophesied in your name. I was a preacher. I cast out demons in your name. I had a demon casting out, yoke breaking, destroying ministry or whatever. You know, we did many, I did many wonders in your name. He says, Depart from me. I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. Right? He says, Look, I never knew you. You've never stopped sinning. Now, interesting thing to me is Jesus didn't say that they didn't do the other things. I've always been puzzled by that. So you mean that they're preachers and people that maybe. God is somehow there's even healings or other, other manifestations going forth that God is saying I never knew you and this is what I thought about right when Jesus sent out the disciples and he gave them power over the, you, Judas was there he went out with them it wasn't like I mean if they would have all known Judas was a fraud if Judas would have went and, and he couldn't cast out none you know they went out and demons were being I wonder if Judas was there and God said yeah despite him there'll be power upon his life But there's no blessing for him. He doesn't know.
0: In his letter to the Galatians, Paul fought against the Judaizers who were trying to make the Galatians follow the Old Testament law after they had been saved. Paul presents an eloquent and passionate argument about the purpose of the law and the finality of being saved through God's grace. In chapter five, verse one, he says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Paul reminds the reader over and over that when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he had provided for our salvation once and for all. There is nothing else we need to do to be saved. There is nothing else we can do to add to our salvation. It's all been done for us by Jesus. Thanks for joining us today on The Transforming Word. Pastor Bill Buffington has been making his way through the book of Galatians, and together we're learning so much about God's incomprehensible grace. God's grace is so amazing that it's a message we have to share with the world, and you can join us. We have two ways for you to give. There's online giving on our website, calvaryinglewood.org, or once you're on the website, you can download the mobile app and give from there. Once again, that website is calvaryinglewood.org. While you're there, check out all the great resources we put together for you, including our daily Bible reading plan. Well, we're coming to the end of our time for you today, but don't worry, we'll be back again. Be sure to join us next time for another great message right here on A Transforming Word.